So our next guest is a good friend of ours, and we've talked to her before on radio, and that is Hilda McHugh. Now you're very, very welcome, Hilda. And uh, to our listeners, you might have been known as the Department of Education Primary School Inspector in the region. And I'm looking at Jim at the other end of the table, who would have been a, a, a colleague of yours and you would have visited his school quite often, wouldn't you? Would but indeed. this morning, uh, it's not the inspectorate uh, we're, we're looking at, Hilda. It's this other part of your, uh, uh, of your life, which is Hilda the novelist. But before I go on to talk about Hilda the novelist, I, I, I have to seize the opportunity uh, to, to tell you how disturbed I am when I read in the newspapers these days how so many families suffer, you know, educational poverty because they, they can't afford the books. You know, and we, didn't, we haven't addressed that. So before we move on, do you have any views on how, OK, we could make sure that the costs of education across the board in Ireland can be controlled somewhat so that people are not disadvantaged. Yeah. How do you, uh, you know, how do you feel uh, about that? Uh, th- thanks, John. I feel very strongly about the amount of monies that are surreptitious, surreptitiously creeping in to the everyday lives of parents of young children, particularly. Yeah. And uh, I'm not... Uh, uh, concerned that we're not addressing the problem. I'm concerned that we're not supporting it sufficiently. We have free book schemes. We have uh, uh, assistance for uh, uniforms. We have there there are various schemes uh, in place by the Department of Education to support uh, families that are disadvantaged. Now, remember, Education was always expensive, if you want to look at it in terms of the long ago, where people keeping uh, youngsters in school for longer were deprived of family income. Yeah. Uh, thank God that day is is gone to a great extent. We have a, a huge amount of uh, youngsters now graduating at third level and all the rest of that. And that's a good thing. But where we're falling down is not putting in sufficient supports for the hidden costs. The uh, the voluntary contributions oh. to cover the yes. uh, the ancillary things that schools cannot manage within uh, a budget, budget unless unless the budget is increased, yeah. right? Yeah. And then there's the workbooks, and don't talk to me about workbooks because this drives me crazy. Each child, each year for the eight years of primary, is uh, supplied with throwaway. At the same time, they're paying for photocopy. Now, a throwaway to our listener would be... Is the, the, the workbook. The workbook. That day one, you open the workbook and you put your mark on it and then it's no longer of any use to anybody else other than that child. Mm. Uh, I have experienced that myself with my own children. Uh, one in particular uh, only used one... Uh, I think three pages were used out of something like 110. Yeah. And uh, I asked why, and he said, "Actually, we don't. We, we we don't have to. We can only use those if we like." Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, but that's, do you know which something? says more about my child, I think, than it does about the workbook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
It's the non-recyclability. It's the Amish, yeah. The old days, mm-hmm. you know, the books were passed down from yeah. leaving cert to fifth year to fourth year to third year. But mind you, that was stultifying too, though, you know. Yes, of yeah, I, I suppose, Hilda, the, the, the book companies yeah. have a huge influence. And, and, I mean, largely, I suppose, they're given free reign in the open market. Yes. And maybe that's the only way it can be yeah. done. Uh, but to be fair to our our own uh, um, uh, education board, uh, uh, Department of Education, we always had a committee that su- supervised what was going on, and there were quite strict guidelines as to what could be produced. I'm wondering if that's as robust as it was in the eighties when yes. I was dealing with it. Yes, yes. and yes. I suspect not. But uh, just a, a, an anecdote from my own experience visiting America in the early 70s, I was introduced by two kind neighbours of my my uh, host family or relations of my own, of course, uh, in Chicago. Uh, sorry, I said Chicago. And I, uh, yes, in Chicago mm-hmm. is correct. And uh, we uh, were visiting a school. The principal had agreed to meet me and was very kind and giving me samples of this and samples of that. But all the while, he was literally throwing hardback books into a furnace. Yes, and they were all given free. Yeah. Because the, the book scheme in, in, uh, in American junior, juniors and senior highs, the, the books are free. Yeah. In a country that is politically conservative, isn't it rather yeah, interesting? interesting yes. Uh, and nearly left uh, wing type of a policy, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. And yeah. he said if he weren't doing that, yeah. he would need to build on two rooms. Told them. Told <laughs> them. <laughs> you know? yes. So there we are. Now, so we're not, we're not gone that far yet. No. <laughs> but anyway, we're not doing, going down the education route, so to speak, yeah. Uh, yeah. this morning, Hilda. It's Hilda the novelist. Now, they're thinking a lot. Uh, what do we talk to a novelist about? Could we... Could we say to, I said to her, could I say, to, I said to myself, could I say, how do you go about writing? No, I said, no, I'll ask you first, uh, what brought you, what drew you, what kind of enticed you into the whole world of the novel? And I'm looking at some copies of your novels here on the table, Jim, in front of us. Yes. Okay. Uh, now. Well, I suppose it goes back to uh, when I learned to read first. I was born in, in the early, in, in 1950, I'll make no bones about it, which is a long time ago now. And in those days, children didn't read uh, until they were probably six or seven or maybe eight or nine. And uh, I took to reading early because uh, I had a, a, a baby sister, seven years my junior, and uh, she was rather demanding. She wouldn't go to sleep until she was rocked and she wouldn't. Uh, she cocked the eye when you think she was asleep. So <laughs> I kind of put uh, uh, two and two together and I said, I want to read and she wants to sleep. Maybe if I read quietly to her, she'll fall asleep. It worked a treat. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not too sure <laughs> whether yeah. it damaged her or not, but she turned out to be a primary teacher. So I suspect there was little damage done. Yeah. As far as I was concerned, I was doing what I like to do. And very shortly after that, I found that I had a kind of a facility with words. Uh, And uh, so I used to jot bits of poetry and, you know, uh, scribblings of one kind or another. This is when you were in the primary school? In the primary school. Mm. And uh, by the time I was at the end of fifth class, I had exhausted all the books in the school library. 
and uh, so and it was a sizable enough library and I took to reading the entire works of Dickens in uh, uh, volumes that were age marked belonging yes. to my mother uh, of course eventually um, I was caught reading by flashlight under the clothes and uh, I never did get to the end of Edwin Drood yes. yeah. <laughs> but I discovered years and years later when I was doing my BA and one of the prescribed texts was uh, Great Expectations and I thought God I've got to read this over Christmas and I'm a slow reader actually even though I read a lot mm. I get through maybe two novels in a, in a week but no more than that and it was a big tome it might take me the full week so I was like, oh, I must get down to this. So I did and discovered on page three, I knew what was over the page. I had recalled the entire novel. I was thrilled. There was no more reading mm. that I had to do. So I was able to read around it, which was helpful uh, in, in, in the BA as it turned out, because I did English and uh, also philosophy at the time. Anyway, I loved the idea of writing. And then I got into a job where I ended up writing a rather prescribed text in terms of reportage. And then in my latter years as assistant chief inspector, I was reading uh, 21 other people's reports and uh, signing off on them. And if that wouldn't drive every bit of creativity out of your head, <laughs> I don't know what other recipe there is. As soon as I retired, I said, now's my chance. I'd always wanted to write a novel. So I started straight away. I've learned a bit since, mind okay, you. OK, we'll come back to that now. <laughs> Tell me, why, when we look at the list, Jim, of um, novelists in Ireland, mm -hmm. the female novelist emerges hugely as against the smaller number of male novelists. Hilda, that ever strike you as strange? Why is it that we, we, we find female writers so much in Ireland as against uh, uh, the, the number of male yeah, writers? I, I'm not too sure that the imbalance is as great as, as you're making it out to be. Do you think Number not? one, but uh, no, you are absolutely right. There are a lot more. Yeah. And why, I, why is, I what could, has the woman got that? that I could that? be facetious now and I could say that women are finishers. Finishers. You know, uh, yeah. women by and large, if they get the bit between their teeth and they're anxious to, to get something done, mm. they will stick at it. Do you think so? Now, the corollary of that is they're also experts at imposter syndrome. They talk themselves out, uh, themselves out of actually... Uh, getting published because their work isn't maybe good enough and maybe I'm not a writer. Well, if you're spending hours at it every day, what what are you if you're not a writer? OK. But women in particular uh, are shyer of showing their work. They're, they're less um, confident about their process and they, they're always questioning themselves. That said... They are also more committed to the idea of this is something I need to get on paper. Is it a, is it, is mm. it a fact that women as a gender mm -hmm. uh, are more empathetic, that they have a more heightened sense of empathy? That was an observation which a friend of mine made when yeah. I put this question to him, yeah. thinking about talking to Hilda this, this morning, you know? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right in, 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 in that. But 
You see, the, the world isn't evenly divided either between those who are empathic and those who are not. Mm. You see, um, I put it to you this way. A very good writer, uh, we'll talk about characterization for a minute. Yes. A very good male writer writes brilliant characters, as does a very good female writer. Yeah. Um, for instance, uh, I'm very, I was very taken with... Um, Roddy Doyle's, uh, the, wom- uh, the Woman Who Walked Into Doors, where Roddy actually writes the novel from the, the perspective of the adult female and did it so well that he interviewed after his readings yeah. that battered women would come up and ask him, what should they do? You, are you saying to us that he, he got in, into the skin yes, of the woman? he got under the skin of the woman to the extent that, um, I remember writing a comment when I read it first, an excellent read, caring, gripping, harrowing, funny, haunting and real. Mm. All of those things. So he hadn't been damaged by the experience of writing reports Absolutely. in the Department of Education. <laughs> well, you I'm, see, he got out of teaching very early. <laughs> I'm just thinking, Hilda, because I remember you as, yeah. as a department inspector. And I mean, you describe well the, the, yeah. the stuff you had to do, yeah. which was anything but creative. Yeah. And I mean, as a teacher before and as an inspector, you were extremely busy. Oh, yes, and and not to speak of the fact that you were a wife and mother <laughs> to children. Yes. And so you probably wouldn't have time uh, when you mm-hmm. were working. But how did you, let's say, make the leap from somebody who obviously had an interest in writing uh, as a working, you know, when you when you were full time working? Um, it's to even presumably to have the germ of an idea for a novel. Mm-hmm. But it's a big step. It is. To, it, it, it strikes it, me as a big step to take it is to actually step, start writing yeah. and, and have that get into the process and the structure and all of that. How how did you do that? Interestingly enough, I think uh, we used to do training sessions every now and again uh, to improve our interpersonal skills and to improve communication with teachers and children. And uh, and some uh, as I progressed in the job on uh, how to manage people, and a, a kind of a common theme began to emerge for openers, you know, because you'd be among other people. Not all of us would be inspectors in these groups, you see. And invariably, they'd start off with an icebreaker, the presenter, and ask you, "What were the? You, you, it might be who were the people that influenced you." In your life, yeah. or it it could be uh, what are the, the three things that when you have time you're going to do mm-hmm. your wish list or whatever, and I noticed a theme after a while. My third one always was write the novel. You write the novel. Write the novel. What was your first? Um, it, it, that would vary from from you know from uh, time to time. In the early stages, it was probably improve my 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 communication skills or whatever you know was relevant yes. to the job. Or it, it might be something about how do you motivate people or, you know, it would be something relevant to the immediate. And the middle one would probably be travel. Travel. Yeah. When, when you know, when I, when, I, when I get off the rat race, I'm going to travel, you know. Um, or, but increasingly write the novel. Write the novel was always there. It might shift position, but it was always there. Are you, could I ask you for clarification, for personal clarification purposes, mm-hmm. Jim? Um, it's a very public thing to put your name uh, to a novel. 
Yes, but I, as you see, I don't put my name to the novel. I put H A McHugh. Well, in her, is in that's right. I don't. Yeah, but we're going to ask the question: What the H stands for? And we'll hear then it's Hilda. Yeah. And so you're out in the public. Now, wh- what kind of an ego is required to actually, you know, <laughs> come to that point where you would put your name to a pub into the public domain like that? Yeah. Well, you know, go back to my choice not to use uh, my name that I would be known in education circles. Yeah. Because... I wanted a wider audience. I wanted of people. Did, yeah. I wanted people to 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 read a book by somebody that they didn't have uh, positive or negative associations with in terms of their job, and yeah. I, I felt that um, I was more comfortable with that. Um, to me, it, it wasn't so much about the ego of, of of being a published author. It was more about the the urge to write. It's a very enjoyable experience writing. The urge to write. The urge to write. I always felt a need to write. Yeah. yeah. Somebody's going to bound to ask you, well, yeah. why, 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 why this need? I'm hungry, so I, I have uh, yeah. uh, some food. Uh, I'm thirsty, so and I take a drink. You're dead right. And everybody has a thirst for something. In their lives, Do you it think might so? it might be golf, it might be uh, <laughs> it might be uh, running a radio station or whatever. Yeah. But there's always something that you hanker after. Um, I think. Do you and agree with that, Jim? Oh, after pointing that one to you, you know, know. <laughs> running running a radio station. Yeah. No, but there's something that the, in in your psyche that that wants to do. Look, let's face it. We all want to leave a mark. Yeah. And we, it's not about ego. It's about leaving something, leaving a legacy of some kind. One, of, one of the Latins wrote, Exege monumentum ere perineus. I will build a monument more lasting than that of bronze. Is yes, that what you're telling that, me? That's exactly what I'm telling you. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's about, um, you just look back over, the, say, the last uh, century. Yeah. And the wealth of storytelling and the wealth of... Um, even uh, proverb and uh, expression and language that our grandparents had at will, mm. a lot of which is already gone. That's right. Yeah. Now, that irked me. Uh, it also used to irk me as, as a younger person how judgmental people are of other people on the basis of their accent, on the basis yeah. of... Uh, you know, who do they think they are? We're a great crowd for begrudging other people. Um, so to, to me, I would turn the ego thing on its head and say, this is filling, is filling the holes last by. Yeah. There must be a great mm. sense of, 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 of pleasure in writing, you mentioned, yeah. but also satisfaction when it's completed. Absolutely. You know, and when I didn't start writing the novel when it came to the crunch, I was uh, had a bit of a, a misfortune uh, in terms of uh, contracting MRSA, and I was in hospital for about eight weeks. And uh, as I, <laughs> the early days, I, I wasn't fit for doing anything. But as I recovered, I started uh, writing short, um, probably the makings of a memoir, really. Uh, memories of uh, childhood and mm-hmm. different adventures and that kind of thing. And uh, <laughs> I noticed they all kind of seemed to, to come out at around 600 words. You know, you'd think there was a switch in there somewhere that said you've enough written <laughs> or you're too tired to write more. So 
I suppose that's where I honed the business. Of, I mean, the construct of a novel is very simple. There's a beginning, there's a middle and there's an end. It's a bell curve. You build your tension towards your your uh, kind of turning point, the bit where something changes the perspective or the view of the your character and makes them, changes them in some way. And then you trail down to the uh, tying up the, the, the loose ends the at the ends. other end. Do you but know, that's basically what it is. Do you know how your story is going to end? Not necessarily, but you, you really, I think, it, for a for a good story, uh, uh, you you have to allow a certain am- amount of uh, space for your characters to 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 influence the ending. Yeah. But you have to have some end. Okay. It may now, not it may not be the final end. I was asked by another friend to ask Hilda, does she like, prefer, nasty characters or nice characters? I think uh, initially uh, I had a propensity to write very nice characters because, yeah. you know, I mean, the vast bulk of, of people we meet are nice characters anyway. But, but they might be uninteresting. They, exactly. <laughs> the, the interest is in the in the evil characters. And just coming back to what we were talking about characterization earlier, I talked about uh, Roddy because he mm. he has a great facility for characterization. A lot of other good writers, of course, do too. But just contrast him, say, or, or compare him with um, Catherine Dunn, mm. who, who who is actually a friend of his. They taught in the same school, interesting enough. But she writes lovely, really nice, uh, um, nice, sort of horrible word, but what I'm trying to say is interesting novels. Uh, she too can get inside the character. Uh, she has a lovely one uh, called uh, The Things We Know Now, where she gets inside the, the head of uh, a pre-teenage boy who commits suicide. And it's very real. And how could... I mean, she's a woman yeah. with her with the female baggage, which... Um, yeah. And the character in question but I is think, a male. Yeah. When you're, when, you're, when you're skilled at this and you can learn uh, a lot of this, but I suppose you have to be... have, have the sense of it to begin with the, the germ which, which you then feed... But um, say, for instance, um, John Boyne uh, in writing the, the, the Boy with the Striped Pyjamas. Yes. Again, you know, to get that insight into a totally different character. And he writes from all perspectives and he's a brilliant writer. I'm very fond of John Boyne. Is it hard to get away from the bi- the autobiography? The auto experience. I suppose it, I suppose it is. It, 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 really, you know, there's, there's nothing yeah. new under the sun. And we all start with what we know, which is which is a good place to start because <laughs> it's authentic. <laughs> yes. The problem the problem is if you if you if you continue to live in that world, you certify your imagination. But what, so what you do is you start and all good writers do this. They start with the known and then they layer it and layer it and layer it with their imagination. Now, just say, for instance, you know, I mean, we all read uh, deep stuff and we read novelists we like. I love, say, John Boyne and Sebastian Barry and Pat Conroy and, you know, Colm Toby and Douglas Kennedy uh, and Christy Keneally and these kind of, they're my male writers. Uh, female writers, I love Edna O'Brien, I love Catherine Dunn, I love... And on, on occasion, if I'm going on holidays, I'll bring a Marion Keys or a Roshin Mini or a Maeve Binchy because that's light and fluffy reading and it's 
it's comfortable for lying on the beach and you're not getting too hit up about what's happening to the characters. But say, for instance, John Grisham and Ian Rankin and Robert Ludlow and all of those guys, they write uh, through the, the lens of psychopathic killers. Yeah. Doesn't mean they're psychopathic no. killers themselves, you know. Okay. And and um, they, they, what I was saying, the light and fluffy people, it isn't necessarily that they can't write uh, good characters. Yeah. They often do. But uh, their focus is different from, say, the, the, the Catherine Dunn's and the... Uh, you know the yeah, the the, yeah. the more meaty writers, for want of a, a, be, a better way of putting it. Can I'm I just, say to you? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm just wondering. I mean, and you you obviously love writing, and it comes across in our conversation here. You know how much into writing and reading that you mm. are. Um, are the things that frustrate you or frustrate a, a writer? What kind of things would you find in your time that would be thing would? Can I turn that in his head for a minute? The things that frustrate me as a reader are where the, the author forgets that it's not zombies that are reading the book. It's the intelligent <laughs> people. So please don't <laughs> keep telling me the same backstory you've told me already four times. Yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Now, the frustration for the writer is a novel takes a long time to write. You're talking three, five, six hundred pages. It's a lot of writing. And what you get away from the beginning of your story, the germ of it is still there. You know what, where the characters are going, uh, more or less. And what I find for me is a frustration is I get caught up in the minor characters and I start expanding them, wandering off in all kinds of directions. So I have to thump myself back into shape. Uh, Otherwise, it'll be a tome and it'll have... Or worse still, now all writing is rewriting. You you think when you finish the story uh, that you're done. Are you only at the first draft? And 90%, well, maybe 79% of it, that is rubbish anyway. And you're going to be... Okay. You're going to be tossing that bit, those bits. But the problem is, if you haven't got a structure in, in mind before you start of where your your arc is... Uh, then you can lose. Sometimes you do it automatically. You fill in motivation for a particular character slowly building, right? And then in the in the rewrite, you you say no, I don't know. Is that that's kind of wandering enough? I I, I I lose that. But it's still lodged in your head. Yes. You see. Mm. Now it's not lodged in the book. Yeah, right. And that's the bit you forget. That's very frustrating. Mm. And you read back and you thought. I thought. Oh, I thought that was in. Yeah. And yeah. it's not in. Or worse still, uh, you've left something in that doesn't make sense when you come to the end of the novel. Okay. Or yeah. the character has actually changed so much that it's unrecognisably yeah. no, the beginning. That, that's what I, I want to... Yeah. That, you mm. see, characters, you say, have personality. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. you have designed mm. in your mind. Sometimes mm. it gets an expression on the paper. Mm. Other times you recall it mm-hmm. with, yeah, that you had intended. Yes, now, I want to ask you, do you manufacture a personality type to suit your story? You, you build, kind of mentioned in a way. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Manufacture is one way. I would say you build it. Yeah. Because to begin with, you, okay. have, you, you have, say, for instance, you have the, the, good, the good character who is basically the victim. And Must yet, he stay good all the way through the novel? No, because then he wouldn't be real. Okay. 
Do you get what I'm at, yeah. at Jim? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And the bad guy, um, I have one bad guy in in in, uh, in the next one coming out, which is nearly ready, is it? It is. So yeah. It's a, about, it, this will be inappropriate as we come yeah. to the end of the interview, Jim. This is an appropriate uh, time uh, to to ask you where are you in the current. Uh, Anime uh, creation. Creation, right. I have two published. I have a third one ready for publication and a fourth one ready for publication and I have a fifth one almost finished. And is there a knocking at the door? Um, Yet? No. Uh, I've uh, I've sent the Tangled Web, which is the, the name of the one that I'm talking about with the yeah. very evil character. That's a way with publisher at the moment. And I'm getting it back. With no comment, only not suiting us at the moment, kind of yeah. comment. Is that the usual? Oh, and that's of. the usual. Kind. Yeah. And and they tell me that until you have accumulated about a thousand of those, you're not really at the races. <laughs> <laughs> Please God, I've only had fifteen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it won't be very many more. But I'm still hopeful because I know there's good stuff in there, mm. because it's been germinating a very long time. Yeah. But I, uh, somebody had commented to me, uh, he's he's very evil. Has he any saving grace? And I said, no, he hasn't. But I don't want him to have the saving grace. That, is that... Is and, is uh, it, wait a minute, no. That's, that's is, legitimate That's too. a manufacturer. Of course it is, yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, sorry, there I have little touches of where you can empathise with them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. For the circumstances in which he finds himself. But there are things, such a thing as evil characters. If you're watching about uh, Rose and, and, and Frank West, Fred, Fred, Fred. And Fred West, yeah. you'd know all about evil characters. Yeah. So I decided this guy is so evil that he has to remain so. And so but he's it, going to be evil right to the very end. Oh, yes. And we're all, uh, <laughs> my readers and myself, I hope, are all hoping he's going to get his comeuppance. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd have to get his comeuppance, you see, because yeah. he is so evil. But yeah. the characters that he has influenced and their perspective on him is what the meat of the novel is. Well, Jim, yeah. it's been a, a revealing Fascinating yes. interview, hasn't it? It really? has indeed. Yeah, okay, yeah. much very enjoyable. Very enjoyable. And as we, when can we hope uh, to see this evil guy emerging into print? Unfortunately, that's in the lap of the publishers and the gods. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I hope soon. Can we wish you very, very well? Are you going to tell us the name of it? The Tangled Web. The oh, Tangled Web. Web. By by H A McHugh. H A Well, H A McHugh, thank you very very much indeed for coming in this morning. It's been very enjoyable. Can we come back on publication? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Hilda. I'd enjoy that. Thank you.